You're listening to the Game on Glio podcast with Shannon Traphagen. Welcome to Game on Glio, the podcast providing hope, inspiration, education, and real conversations around the difficult journeys of being diagnosed with brain cancer, including glioblastoma. I'm your host, Shannon Traphagen. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Game on Glio Podcast or visit our website, The Game on Glio Podcast, for insights and guest snapshots. If you enjoy our show, please consider writing a review. Also, share us with a friend. This podcast is in partnership with Brains for the Cure. Learn more at brainsforthecure.org. Time is a funny thing. It keeps going. Days, weeks, months. Time keeps ticking by, even when it feels like your orbit is completely standing still. That is the process of grief. As a widow, you watch as the world around you continues to spin. Months keep going by, seasons keep going by, but it feels like everything in your orbit, everything in your world, is standing still. You make small progress, small movements towards going forward, taking steps. But it's a new normal. It's a new normal right now inside of a new normal with the pandemic. The grieving process is not an easy one. And it's complicated and layered. It can be very hard for people to understand to grasp. This month is Brain Cancer Awareness Month. It is also seven months since my husband has passed away. It's hard to believe that it's been that long, and yet my days are still taken one at a time. Because that's what this is like for those of you going through a process of grieving. It is hard to describe the emotions, the feelings, the layers that surround the grief that you feel, that you walk through every hour of every day. And for everybody, it's different. And it's hard to describe that as well. As somebody who has spent almost 20 years of my life with Mike, it's not as cut and dry as the simple stages that are laid out in many textbooks. There are different parts Parts of you that are vying for attention, parts of you that play tug of war with your heart, with your emotions, with your insecurities. There's anxiety, vulnerability, being scared and fearful, being more guarded of your heart, not trusting, trying to figure out how you're going to do everything on your own. For example, Shortly after Mike passed, one of my best friends came into town with her family, and she and I went to the grocery store. It was the first time I had been to the grocery store in quite some time. I went while he was sick. I went often. During the pandemic, I would be the only one that would go most of the time. When he started to get extremely sick, I was still going to the grocery store, but it became less frequent. We have and had a great circle of friends and family around us that provided a meal train, came out in rotations, would go to the grocery store for us, for me, to help take some of the burden off so that I could spend my time with Mike. So I hadn't really been in a while. And you might be thinking, where is she going with this story? It was the simple act of going to the grocery store. My best friend and I went to grab food to make dinner that night. We walked in, we had our masks on, we grabbed a cart, And as we were walking around, it hit me like a ton of bricks that I would never be shopping for him again. I would never be buying his favorite foods. I would never be thinking of him when I picked up items to make for dinner or to plan out our meals for the week. I would never be grabbing his favorite snacks or bringing him home a treat. Mike used to joke with me all the time, And anytime I would go to the grocery store, he'd say, bring me back a surprise. And I would laugh and look at him and say, 
I'll bring you a surprise. I'll come back. And we would both laugh hysterically because he used to say that to me all the time. And yet anytime either one of us would go to the grocery store without the other, we always came back with a little something. For him, it was always my favorite chocolate or a bouquet of flowers. For me, it was always one of his favorite treats or a six pack of his favorite IPA. But that day I realized I would never be doing any of those things for him, for us, that I was gonna be cooking for one. And my anxiety went through the roof. When we got out to the parking lot, I, I revealed to her how I was feeling. And she just looked at me and said, why didn't you tell me we could have left immediately? And I just shook my head and said, no. Because as anxious as I was and as hard as it was to be in there, I needed to do it. Because I'm going to need to do these things from now on and I'm going to be butting up against these feelings and I need to find a way to work through them and walk through them. So that simple act of going to the grocery store, it was that hard. It's all of those layers, realizing that you're eating for one. In my case, there's no children. So I am truly just eating for one. And that has been a struggle. Being in the house, alone, without him. There is such a vulnerability that is layered on top of every single thing that is done right now. And that vulnerability plays through in so many different ways. And it can make us more protective, more insecure about other relationships, friendships, family. You worry all of a sudden about losing more people because you hear that you'll lose people along the way. They don't want to be reminded of the grief or the sorrow. They're ready to move on quicker because they're on the outside. They're not in the weeds with it. And it does happen, and it's happened to me. And sometimes that vulnerability shows through. You hold tighter to other things that you love because your heart just can't afford to lose anything else. And some don't understand that part of the grief because they're truly not in the thick of it. They might be hurting, but their heart isn't broken. There's a level of trust and of guarding your heart, shielding yourself. There's a fear and a scaredness. It's like having a tooth with a nerve that's been exposed. It's raw, it's sensitive, and there's a layer of protection that's gone. And so every time you hit that nerve, it hurts. So you start to chew on the other side of the mouth. You start to guard it and become more protective of it until it can be repaired. And that's kind of what the grieving process feels like, at least for me. And there are times where I wonder if we should have had more conversations, if we should have talked about what if. What if things don't go the way we want them to go or need them to go? What if we don't have as much time as we thought? It's not like the movies where there's this long-lost video message that's left for the spouse and the family, or letters that have been written by the deceased ahead of time. And I think about those moments, another layer. But then I remind myself and I remember, we didn't talk about those things because there was always hope. We never, ever walked away from hope, from faith that things would get better, that things would be okay. We always held on to that, even in the last days. That's what got us through. And that's what today's podcast is all about. It is about hope and faith and energy, about the future, about going forward, about time. Our guest today, DJ Stewart, is a glioblastoma thriver. He has got that spirit, that fight, that hope, and that light. And we will be talking to him next after a brief message from our partner. When my mom was diagnosed with a brain tumor, I didn't know where to turn. How do I prepare myself as a caregiver? 
As a 22-year survivor, I've talked to hundreds of patients, mostly just listening and answering questions. I've visited dozens of websites, some good, but none I thought truly met the needs of survivors and caregivers. I found what I was looking for in Brains for the Cure. This is a resource I've been looking for. Not only did I learn a lot, but it also reassured both of us that we are not alone. With resources and news from Brains for the Cure, patients and caregivers can advocate for themselves and become decision makers in their own journeys, learn about treatment options and clinical trials, and connect with other patients, survivors, caregivers, and medical professionals through our ambassadors, online support groups, and personal stories. Find out more at www.brainsforthecure.org. Welcome back to the show. I'd like to welcome our guest, DJ Stewart. DJ is a glioblastoma thriver who was diagnosed in 2019 at the age of 28. He hails from the Midwest. He's a competitive skateboarder, has been for 15 years, but his cancer diagnosis pushed him into a new direction. So DJ, I'd like to welcome you. Thanks so much for joining us on the episode today. Hey, Shannon. Thank you so much for for having me. It's a very, very exciting to be here. Well, I'm really glad that you were able to join us. Um, I know that this is, there's so much going on for you. And uh, like me, you seem to have your hand in a million different projects. So <laughs> we're going to kind of dive in and, uh, and let you tell us a little bit about your story. So why don't we start with when you were first diagnosed and how you actually found out that you had glioblastoma? Absolutely. In 2018, I was actually diagnosed with a sarcoma in my right knee, which is just a a smooth tissue cancer that I seemed to beat pretty quickly, but it did lead me to just be a little more conscious about my health. As you said, being a skateboarder for as long as I have been, I won't lie, I've beaten my body up and I may have neglected some, (laughs) some things when I shouldn't have being a young kid, but I started taking care of myself a little bit more. I really looked out for what I was eating and working out a lot, those sort of things. And with that, oddly enough, I started having these odd little, what I classified as a deja vu attacks. Hmm. And I would just get this odd feeling where I thought I was having like deja vu of a situation that I'd never been in. Thought maybe it was a weird stress thing. I didn't know. Just kept taking good care of myself. And then one day... I was having one of those at work, starting a new job, actually, signing some insurance paperwork. Mm-hmm. I had a seizure. Oh, wow. I was very grateful to be in the presence of everyone that I was with. They reacted fantastically, like immediately had an ambulance there, mm-hmm. alerted my wife, my mother, everyone. So I came to, I guess, a bit in the ambulance. I don't r- remember this, but. Uh, I guess I came to a bit in the ambulance and was able to rifle off the standard, like, you know, what year is it? That sort of deal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But my first memory was waking up in the hospital and my shoulder hurting. I had fallen out of my desk that was set to be a standing desk, but I had like an elevated chair too. So I took a little dip. Oh, wow. Yeah. I landed on my shoulder and so I was sore and it was hurting and I kept complaining about it hurting. So they're like, all right, well, let's do some scans. Okay. They did MRI and CT. And that's when they found a, I believe it was six centimeter uh, tumor in my right side of my brain there. Oh, wow. I uh, just woke up to the news essentially. So when they told you that they were seeing something, what, what, how did they present that news? I mean, what essentially were they telling you? Did they say, we think this is glioblastoma? Or did they just say, you know, we think you, well, we see a, some type of tumor. We just don't know what it is. At the time, there was, they could not tell at all, like initially, uh, what type of tumor it was. Okay. They knew that it was just uh, there and fairly large, large. Yeah. and that it, it needed to, to go. And so we set, you know, surgery for immediate, I believe it was two days later that we actually had the surgery. So you had surgery where? So I've been treated for most of my ailments at the <laughs> University of Kansas. Okay. So when I 
initially had the seizure, they sent me to Menorah Medical Center because it was the closest hospital in Kansas City to where the incident happened. But I'd had some experience with my previous diagnosis at the University of Kansas. Me and my family both felt very comfortable there. Mm-hmm. So that that very first day, I was only at Menorah for a matter of hours just for them to do like initial question asking. And then I was quickly transferred to University of Kansas, KU Med. Okay. So after the surgery, how did they explain to you what was going on? And and let the listeners know how old you were when you were diagnosed. I was 29 at the time. Uh, I was in 2019 that it happened. But I woke up from the surgery and they were still unsure at that point exactly what type it was. So they obviously, they sent it off to do a pathology report. They hinted that it could be a glioblastoma, that they were hoping essentially for more of an astrocytoma. Mm-hmm. Um, they were you know, mentioning all kinds of things that I had no idea about genetic markings and MGMT. And I, was I like, know, it goes a- right over your head, right? Yeah, like, what are you talking about, huh? Yeah, they just start throwing all kinds of terms at you. I remember that. And uh, I just woke up. me and my husband just feeling dizzy. Yeah, like just sitting there going, wait, what? Actually, it was, I was home by the time we found out fully that it was a glioblastoma. And mine is a grade four glioblastoma, yet it's been kind of odd. They, I do have some markings that are that of an astrocytoma and it, it's kind of a freak. So it's almost like a combination. Yeah. Yeah. Oddly enough. Okay. I don't, I haven't come across that in, you know, any of my research. Well, I don't really do research. That's probably something that we'll cover. (laughs) I'm sure. But, um, I, I, have people in my life that are incredible that have done that stuff for me because I, it's not good for me to like get on Google or something, you know? I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I'm glad you actually say that because I, that's the one thing I tell people, uh, especially patients or the caregiver of don't Google or WebMD. <laughs> I've never once Googled glioblastoma, GBM, anything similar to that because I do have a a great support system that have made it to where I I don't have to. And I'm eternally grateful for that because it's not going to do me any good. So now when they said it was glioblastoma stage four, did they say if it was multiform? They were unable to tell at the time that part we didn't learn again until I was actually back home because they sent it to uh, two different specialists because of the fact that it had like the markings of both. Okay. But yes, it did turn out to be multiform. Yes. Okay. For everybody who's listening, that's exactly the same exact tumor that my husband had had. So we're, we're talking about the same type of brain cancer, essentially. Yes. So I'm curious, um, when you did get the news, what were you feeling? I mean, what was going through your mind when they handed you this diagnosis? I mean, you're, you were essentially 28, 29 years old. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're young. That's even younger. So I, I can't imagine what was going through your mind. It was... It's, I mean, indescribable. I I pride myself on being a pretty strong guy, but that's a crazy hand to be dealt when you just, like you said, you know, you're just waking up and you're just getting all these things thrown at you. And brain cancer is a terrifying thing to even hear. Mm -hmm. And so I just remember my mom walking in just a second after the doctors had given me the news and all I could muster up was just like, it's, it's, it's not good. It's bad. Like I couldn't even find the words. So your parents were with you? Yes. Thankfully my, my family, my wife, everyone, I, they rushed to my side and I don't know what I would have done without them. My wife has been there for every little step. My mother, my father, my entire family have just been a rock that I lean on nonstop from that instant Wow! when I have needed them the absolute most. And that was, that's a rough, that's a dark day. (laughs) I, unfortunately, I, I know that feeling all too well. Um, so I can say more than I can only imagine because 
I understand that feeling. Um, so when did you start treatment? Was it pretty shortly after getting the diagnosis or was there a gap of time in between? I mean, did they pretty much rush to get that started for you? They rushed. I, uh, they basically asked me if I was like willing and I instantly, I was like, if I could have surgery right now, like get it out, get it out. I want it out. I want to go. I want to go. I want everything on. Mm-hmm. Give me anything. You want to put me on this, that, and the other. I just want to fight. I want every opportunity that I can to fight. Good for you. We started treatment as soon as like I had the, the craniotomy, which was ended up with like 31 staples. Mm-hmm. I've got this awesome question mark on my head now. (laughs) (laughs) A great story at parties. Uh, (laughs) And then instantly went to chemo, radiation. I did every possible thing, Optune device. I mean, where did treatment take place? I did my six weeks, 35 sessions of radiation here at KU Med. My chemotherapy is also prescribed through KU Med and that was called temozolomide. Yeah a hundred milligrams, seven days a week for 19 months. Now, did you do every single week or was it one week a month? I I was on a different plan than the, the one that you're referring to. My doctor threw out some options and basically said, you know, the most aggressive one being what I chose, which was uh, seven days a week. Wow. So you did seven days a week, every single week. For 19 months. 19 months. And that that just ended just about a month ago. I was going to say, I was going to bring that up. Congratulations, by the way, because that is no easy feat. You have got to feel on cloud nine right now. It's a pretty crazy, it's a pretty crazy feeling that I didn't even expect, actually. Can you explain? Yeah. So short of a few really, 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 really bad times, my body reacted really well to the chemo, I believe. I take a lot of pride in the fact that if I didn't wear like the Optune device and you saw me walking down the street or you interacted with me, you wouldn't know I was sick. Mm -hmm. I lost a little bit of weight and I didn't realize, but I guess I lost my appetite, but I was still actively skateboarding, not working out to a level that I once was, but I thought that I felt pretty good. Mm -hmm. As long as I timed Things like I'm sure you're familiar with the anti-nausea, the Zofran and that sort of thing. Yeah. As long as I timed that properly, I didn't have too many severe reactions. And I thought that I was feeling pretty good. Okay. What I'm learning now, though, is after being off it for a month, I've put on probably seven or eight pounds of, of muscle I cannot stop eating. <laughs> so you you were you were having a more of an effect than you realized. Yeah, I I got used to a new normal is what it kind of seemed like. I thought I was feeling all right. And now I look back and I'm like, "Oh, well, you know, maybe you weren't going out into the garage doing stuff as much as you normally do." And I just subtly like fell into it and now being off of it. I remember being telling my doctor like yeah, I bet you when I get off it, I don't even feel any different. I'm just, <laughs> oh, yeah, no big deal. And then now I feel like, oh, let's let's go out and run a 5K. Let's do this, that, and the other. I feel, I feel strong. It's amazing what your brain adapts to, yeah. what, you, what you tell yourself to do when you're in the thick of things. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look back in hindsight and then you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, yeah, it actually beat me up more than I realized. And But you're just in, in go mode and hope mode that entire time. So you're not thinking about anything except keep your head down and go. Yep, exactly. And I think that served me really, really well. I think that I was able to maintain a healthier, more active lifestyle than a lot of people that are dealt the same situation I am. And that's a big, I think a big part of that is because of the mindset I had for it. Like I'm I feel fine. I feel fine. I feel fine. And it does play. It plays hugely into how somebody walks through their cancer diagnosis. Even after Mike had started chemo, especially after we had found out that the tumor had shrunk, Mm -hmm. he was in the same place. You know, he was back to work full time after just six months. He was, we were both cycling, we were hiking, you know, we were doing all of these things. Um, And they do say that, especially with GBM specifically, 
it's kind of a double-edged sword to say it, but the younger you are, the better chances you have of getting through some of the treatments yeah, um, or handling some of the treatments. Yeah. You know, it's amazing what a positive attitude can do for you. Absolutely. I don't think I would feel probably half as good as I feel without the attitude. So now you mentioned an Optune device uh, several times. So I'd love for you to explain to the listeners what it is and how it came into your possession. You know, how did you get one? Did you have to go through a process and how long you've been wearing it? Outside of the things like the chemo and the radiation and like anti-seizure meds, I've taken some other treatments. The one you're referencing now, the Optune, is basically it looks like a little backpack that I wear that has four cables that come out of it. Those four cables connect to these arrays on my head. Mm -hmm. And the arrays have little conductors in them, essentially. I have four of them. And what they do is they map through my head. They send TT fields, which is a tumor treating field, all through my brain. Okay. 24 hours a day. It's a little bit uncomfortable. I won't lie. I wear it about 80% of the time. So I wear it for normally about four days straight, sleep with it on, carry around the backpack or the shoulder bag or this, that, and the other and wear different hats to cover it, or I just wear it. I'm not too shy. <laughs> I don't really mind. So your head has to be shaved, correct? It's almost like a skull cap of electrodes, essentially, that are kind of attached to the skin. Exactly, exactly. So I'll wear it for four days, take it off for about three hours, wear it for another four days, take it off for about three hours. Oh, I see. So now how did you hear about this device? It was introduced to me as an option early in my treatment. My doctor here at KU Med mentioned that there was a device called the Optune that not everyone is doing it. It's not the norm. Mm -hmm. And he is one of the, the few doctors that is actually was prescribed at the time. I think there are quite a few more now, but was able to at the time prescribe it to his patients. And I actually mentioned it to my father, who oddly enough, has worked on his entire life almost machines that treat glio and astrocytoma. He works uh, for a company that does the gamma technology, which I also had a gamma knife procedure. Oh, you did? Okay. I did have gamma knife with Dr. Duma in Newport, who did the TED talk on GBM. I'm going to put a pin in that for a second. Yeah, of Sorry. But I, I want to, no, 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 that's okay. I definitely want to come back to that. So, so your doctor, your oncologist was the one who actually recommended the device to you. He is, yes. So now does insurance cover that device? To a degree. And uh, I ask only because we'll have other listeners that are probably walking through this. So I want to make sure I give them whatever info we can. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's Optune US is the brand. It's a company called Novacure. Mm -hmm. They've been unbelievable about anything I've ever needed, whether it was equipment changes issues with equipment, anything like that. They're, they're amazing. So I'm very grateful for that team over there. My doctor at KU Med, uh, Dr. Shalit, he's fantastic. Uh, he knew that I was open to anything, to being aggressive. Some people he mentioned weren't open to it because it is a an odd thing. You know, you're carrying around this device and it's attached to your head and it could be a mental block, I think, for some people to to be wearing it. So now you've, how long have you been wearing this? Uh, since September of 2019. So over a year. Yes. Okay. And how, how much longer will you have to wear it? So the standard diagnosis, depending on who it is, is one to two years. Mine has gone up to two now, but I'm, I'm all for it. I, I've had great results thus far and mm -hmm. it, it's going to keep going. If it'll keep helping, then I'll keep wearing it. But like I said, the standard is one to two years that most people use it for. Okay. That's terrific. So we'll give everybody your pages to follow, your social media to follow at the end. But when I was looking through some of your Instagram feeds, I noticed that you were wearing the cap. And interestingly, it was only the second or third time I had heard about this. And when it came across my attention, it wasn't until towards the end of Mike's life, unfortunately. So there was 
there was nothing that the cap would have been able to do for him at that point. I know that Brains for the Cure and their foundation, Head for the Cure Foundation, works with NovaCure and they do a lot of work with the cap and have resource information regarding it. So for anybody who is interested in learning more about it, they will have some information on their website. But it is a really interesting device that is starting to really garner more attention. So I think that it's very interesting that you're seeing um, progress and success through wearing the cap. And it doesn't seem to really be much of a hindrance for you. I'm sure it's probably a little easier for guys than it is for the females who are wearing it, but I have seen some females wearing it as well. Absolutely. And I, I want anyone that, that hears this, that is thinking about using it, anything like that. I take a a lot of pride in the fact that you can do anything with it. You get to live life. Yes, exactly. One thing that my doctor kind of seemed, you know, weary about was that don't let it take away the things that you need in life by wearing this, this little cap. I, I try to make fun with it. You know, I mm-hmm. I'll cover it with a, with a funny wig. I'll, if I'm not wearing the wig, I'll make references to looking like a lunch lady. Cause it's like a little netting. <laughs> I, I make light of it and it, you'd be surprised at how used to it you get. Sometimes I will during those three hours that I'm not wearing it, I'll grab the backpack and put it on when I'm not, I don't even have it. I'm like, oh, wait, that's just a part. <laughs> it's just become another extension of you. Exactly. So now you mentioned Gamma Knife. You actually did Gamma Knife as well. I did, yeah. So now did you do that after the standard course of radiation or was that in conjunction to? That was shortly after radiation, just after probably one month or so after okay. My radiation ended. My mother actually came across Dr. Duma's TED Talk on GBMs and came across the Gamma Knife. And she is my warrior when it comes to research. Like I mentioned earlier, I won't dive in, but she she fights that battle for me. That's amazing. She was like, you want to do it? And I was like, I want to do it. Absolutely. Anything that I can to, to kick this thing's ass, I want to do it. Right. Not only did we f- go out there, but my incredible wife actually turned a procedure trip into a vacation. So I'm a huge nerd. <sighs> my wife took me to, to Harry Potter land oh. in, uh, in Disney. <laughs> oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, the day before all my procedures. So, And then my, my dad flew out to be there with me. My mom was out there with me. We turned, you know, a time that may have been a, a negative into a, a great, great, great memory. I've got one or two or three or four hours out of that entire trip that were <laughs> a little uncomfortable, I'll say. That's amazing. So Gamma Knife, it's kind of like laser targeted yeah. uh, d- directly into it kind of slices right through the tumor, correct? And And a big part is it tries to scorch the ability for it to move farther as as you know like one of the best descriptions of a gbm for me that ever really worked and it this was actually described in optune but then again in gamma knife a regular tumor works like the one in my knee i had you can kind of ice cream scoop it out for the most part it doesn't try to you know move around too bad it just tries to grow Mm -hmm. so as you know with GBM, it works more like a weed. The Optune uh, kind of works like Roundup, mm. where it tries to to stop that thing from being able to grow, whereas the Gamma Knife tries to scorch the roots itself, basically, mm-hmm. to confine it all, lock it into an area that it can't go anywhere farther. That's interesting. Just the amount of aggressiveness, it just, you know, the wheels are turning and, you know, you can't help but think, because Gamma Knife was a discussion that we had had with our radiologists Mm -hmm. and their approach at the time was, we don't want to go there unless we have to. And so it was something where we kind of held off and, you know, you think back and you think, oh, well, maybe we should have done it. And, and like you said, you know, every medical team sees things differently in the approach that they take. Um, you know, where you did Gamma Knife, we had started a Vastin infusion right away, which normally isn't done. 
um, or doesn't happen until recurrence. So that was something that was implemented right out of the gate. So that was something that they decided to do instead of uh, Gamma Knife to see if that was going to um, provide any any relief. Right. So now you talk a lot about your supports, um, you know, your mom, your dad, your wife. Now, at the time that you were diagnosed, were you and your wife married yet or was this a recent wedding? Um, so <laughs> this is where my life becomes a <laughs> a made for TV movie. Or a... <laughs> I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> so, so wild. In March of 2019, I proposed to my now wife on the 50 yard line at Arrowhead stadium where diehard chiefs fans season ticket holders and have some of our like most amazing memories there. So March, I propose April, we buy our first home together. Mm -hmm. And then May is when I wake up in the hospital. Wow. That's a crazy three months in itself. Then while we were in the hospital, it got scary. You know, we're, we're engaged at this point. We don't know what's going to happen. At one point we were talking about like, do, do we just have a preacher come into the room and like get married right now in the hospital? Cause that, they offer that sort of thing, you know? And, yeah. and it's scary. We were panicking at the moment and I, I, my wife is my everything, the love of my life. Like I wanted to be married and I know she did. Then a friend of hers randomly came across a, radio contest or a dream wedding giveaway and what you had to do was submit a video on why you wanted a dream wedding well i'm not gonna lie i had a good story at that point and <laughs> so i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna try to win us a wedding sure enough i proposed in march diagnosis in may we win the wedding in may we have nine days to plan our dream wedding. Oh my gosh. And we got married in nine days from winning it. Wow. That is amazing. Two months after that, we won our honeymoon. Oh, you've got to be kidding. Where, where did you end up going? I cannot make this stuff up. A, a charity out, out of the St. Louis area gifted us any week-long vacation in the U.S. So my wife and I went to spend a week in Hawaii. Oh. Just gorgeous. In March, March of 2020, right before COVID. So I think we got like the last vacation possible before the lockdown happened. Well, talk about everything last minute. <laughs> right. We just we love to run it right to the wire. Oh, my gosh. So outside of your parents. And so do you have any siblings? I, I've got a whole mess of them. I've got three sisters, Kylie, Casey, Veronica, my brother, Chris. And then, I mean, I call everybody my brother, like my sister. I've, I've got a huge... Massive extended family. Huge network of friends. Oh, I could go on and on about the amount of support that I have gotten from my friends and family, the amount of fundraisers, like all kinds of just unbelievable things have come from a rough situation. Well, talk about glass half full. Um, I mean, that's what this is all about is trying to see the positives or the light. Um, in a very grueling situation. So you show that with abundance and that's terrific. And, and hopefully that exudes to everybody who's listening. I hope so. And uh, yeah. So now what gives you strength during all of this? Um, you know, the chemo is now done. Um, I'm assuming the plan is that you'll still continue MRI checks like every other month or so. All of my last ones have been fantastic. I've shown at minimum no growth. I've shown shrinkage even this far out. They gave me 18 months at the maximum. Mm -hmm. and I've already beaten that. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to stay on the Optune. Mm -hmm. In this past eight months or so, I've gone out to also seeing MD Anderson. Okay. So just for those who are listening, MD Anderson is a leading facility in brain cancer uh, down in Texas. Yes. I've gone to, I've got a team of doctors in Houston as well that I'm sharing all my scans with and doing a couple appointments a year down there. 
just to see about you know any trials, any anything. I think that there's a lot to be said about me feeling the way I do. So I'm I'm ready for the next step, whatever it may be. So how do you maintain this level of positivity and energy? I mean, it's it's a long road. So how do you keep that up? I mean, what what gives you the strength to do this? If you took away the GBM, I have everything that I fantasized about as like a a kid. I live an awesome, beautiful life. I have an incredible family. I've got a good job. I've got friends that would do anything in the world for me and I would do anything in the world for them. And I just try to focus on those things. Mm -hmm. I try to, to look for every possible positive that I can. I look for the positives in the diagnosis. I've had friends that I've made because of this disease that I've never met. And to be able to to have a network to lean on and to help others has made it so much easier to fight knowing that I'm not fighting alone and that I'm not only fighting my battle, but everyone else's that has this. You're kind of fighting for everybody. Exactly. Do you have a motto or a catchphrase or something that a mantra, something that you kind of uh, you go to? I don't know if it's radio appropriate or podcast. Uh, or I, I've seen a couple of hashtags. I mean, we 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 can just say uh, bleep in in front of it. <laughs> yeah, bleep cancer, bleep cancer is a. Uh, is something that you'll see on everything that I I do. I write it on my skateboard. My Optune backpack has it <laughs> on there. Uh, there's been local clothing companies that have made shirts with it for me. Not kid appropriate. We will not, say that. <laughs> it, it is not that and the rare enough thing. I really do live by the rare enough. If I'm rare enough to get it, I'm rare enough to beat it. I think that's amazing. I really like that. Um, if you're rare enough to get it, you're rare enough to beat it. And I hope for anybody who's listening that you pay attention to that. Maybe pick up that motto for yourself if you happen to be going through this. It's not an easy journey, so I like that motto. So I know you've got some projects going on right now. Can you tell our listeners what you are currently working on, what you're excited about coming up? As I said, I've been a skateboarder for a long time. With that entailed meeting some really, really incredible filmmakers, and one of which I get to call one of my best friends. And I'm lucky enough that that guy wanted to tell a little bit of my story as well. So we're working on a little video project. What's the title? Rare Enough. Rare Enough. Yeah. I am beyond excited about that. Um, <laughs> now that the weather is, is getting nice again, skateboarding weather comes back. So um, I work the charity out here, kind of giving back to the community and now that I'm off chemo even, like I've got the itch to be on my skateboard even more, which means more activity with that. And then on the dorky side, like I said earlier, I am a dork. I own a professional wrestling company. <laughs> yes, like WWE style wrestling with all the theatrics and everything. I was a bit shocked when I saw that, I will admit. Oh yeah, we, we make it a whole crazy event. And now that I'm feeling great. COVID looks to be pleased on the uh, the tail end. I'm really excited to get back to our, our fan base. That's another crazy support system that I've had to uh, our wrestling fan base. When, when I got sick, they got together and made like custom shirts for me with like my picture on them and everything. They all just rallied around. It's been unreal to feel the amount of support that I've gotten from all kinds of different avenues. That's terrific. So you have a lot going on. You have a, a lot coming up, which is so great. Any parting thoughts? You know, what are your what are your hopes for the future? What are you what are you hoping for down the road and uh, just some maybe parting words of wisdom? I plan to keep doing what I'm doing, to keep fighting every single day. And I don't plan on going anywhere, so you guys can all get used to me. Um, but anybody that out there that is listening to this, that is going through anything similar, is a caregiver, is a patient, whatever it may be, please, please, please keep fighting. I promise you, 
I promise you that your attitude is going to make a difference. You will feel better if you just stay positive. If there is ever anything that I can do to help anyone, I'm an open book. I would love nothing more than to have a conversation. That's awesome. And I'm not the only one that's rare enough. You guys all are too. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. For everybody who's listening, we will have information about the Optune device, Gamma Knife. Anything we talked about in today's episode, we will have that up on our website, the thegameongliopodcast.com. We will put some of those resources up on our Facebook and Instagram pages as well. And I know Brains for the Cure will have a ton of information on these resources. But where can people follow you, DJ? If they want to know more about you, we will have your bio and story up on our website when this airs. But for those who want to touch base with you or just follow along, where can they find you? I have Instagram and Facebook both. Uh, My Instagram is D-J-A-Y-S-T-E-W-A-R-T. And you can find my Facebook through there. I post about all my updates and stuff right through there. So I tend to like, I don't know, every couple of weeks, try to let everybody know what's going on with a quick little dorky video and maybe make somebody laugh in my lunch lady hat. <laughs> That's terrific. So if anybody has any questions, feel free to leave comments or to reach out to us or to DJ directly. DJ, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate hearing your story and your progress and how far you've come. I look forward to following up with you um, months down the road. I look forward to a couple of years from now, even further on than that, uh, talking to you again and following along with your progress. And uh, I can feel your energy. And I know that um, you're going to be one of those thrivers who just kind of breaks the barrier. So um, I'm excited for you. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to come on and speak. And it has been my absolute pleasure. I'm so, so grateful for the opportunity. Well, we're grateful to have you. Thank you so much. And uh, we will be right back. Does anyone watch the TV show, The Comedy Mom? Well, recently they had their final episode after 170 shows over the course of the last several years. It was a comedy that centered around struggles, everyday struggles, alcoholism, and addiction. When Chuck Lorre, the producer, the writer of the show, ended the show, he gave one of his famous last notes that he tends to embed and hide at the end of each show. He does this for many of his other programs. He wrote a message that really spoke to me as we were wrapping up and putting together and finishing episode two. He said, and I quote, eight years ago, we set out to make a comedy whose central theme was hope. Hope that recovery from alcoholism and addiction is possible. Hope that the journey can be filled with love, friendship, and laughter. Hope that people can change, mistakes can be forgiven, and shattered relationships can be healed. And finally, hope that life, through all of its ups and downs, never has to be faced alone. There is always a solution. And that's what this is, isn't it? Through all of life's ups and downs, there will always be ups and downs. There will always be trials and traumas and tragedies, circumstances that we didn't see coming, like brain cancer. And for those of us who are on the other side of this, who have lost someone, it is hard to see that hope. It is truly difficult to hang on to those words But then when you hear stories like DJs, like some of our guests that we have coming up, it reminds us, it reminds me, that hope is never lost. It is always there just beneath the surface. And that's what Game on Glio is all about. It is my way of reminding myself that even though I lost my husband, that hope is just around the corner. And for those that are walking this path now, for the caregivers and the family that surround them, for the doctors and the nurses that are working with them, there is always hope. Because that is the tricky thing about life. Just when we start to get comfortable and we think things are going great, something reminds us that things are not always easy. And that is when we truly have to hold on 
to the goodness that is out in the world. For every cancer, for every disease, for every tragedy that strikes a family, for every shooting that takes place and a young life or a child's life is lost, for every car accident that takes a mother and a baby or a father and a child, for every woman whom has a miscarriage, for every circumstance that is out there, there is always light on the other side of it. Because that's what life is all about, yin and yang, dark and light, good and bad. For every bad person that is out there, for every evildoer that is out there, there is always a good person just around the corner, somebody making a difference, somebody helping somebody else, giving a tender hand, helping somebody to their feet, helping them through their addiction, being a support, being a mentor, being a friend, forgiving, being patient. They exist, they will always exist. So when times are darkest, when we feel the tug of the weight of the trials that we are walking through, remember that you are not alone and that there is hope and laughter and good things to come right around the corner because it's only through these trials that we really understand how precious and amazing life really is. And that is not an easy thing for me to say, having just lost my husband seven months ago and being as young as we are. But when I hear stories like DJ's, it fills me up and it reminds me that we are all in this together and we are not alone. Until the next episode, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Game on Glio podcast. Make sure to visit our website, thegameonglioPodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show via Podbean, iTunes, Google, Apple, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd love to hear what you think. Please post a review, give us a rating, or simply share with others so that they can listen to the show in the future. That'll help us too. If you like the show, you might want to check us out on Facebook at Game on Glio or on Instagram at Game on Glio Podcast. We look forward to seeing you again next month for another exciting episode of the Game on Glio Podcast. Brains for the Cure is an innovative online resource to help brain tumor patients, survivors, and caregivers become advocates, educate themselves, and connect with others throughout each phase of their journey. We are proud to partner with the Game on Glio podcast. Visit brainsforthecure.org to learn more.